This is Brian Evanson, author of Immobility, and you are listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be reviewing tonight is Jackpot by a collection of authors. David Bernstein, Adam Cesare, which I apologize if I said your name wrong. She, you kind of met the dude, so I even feel a little bit more bit more bad. Uh, Shane McKenzie and Christopher Rupti. So I'm not going to read bios for all four of them, but uh, they those are guys the wrote some stuff. They did. They wrote it. Yeah. Um, now, for for astute listeners, you may remember that we said we were reviewing something different this week: um, supernatural enhancements. Um, we're still doing supernatural enhancements in case that's what you specifically came back for. But I was on Facebook, um, killing time, and uh, came across a post from Adam. Um, talking about this collaborative um, novella that that he wrote, and it sounded interesting. And I was like, nah, it's four bucks. What the hell? I'll buy it. And I was about 20% in before I had to send Rob a message saying, hey, I, I'd like to change plans. And uh, let's start off October with a horror book, and then we'll follow it up with a ghost book, and then we'll follow it up with something else, and then we'll try to have some kind of crazy episode. And Rob being very um, patient and understanding with my all of my whims um, related to the podcast, at least. Um, was like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. So there we have it. Jackpot is what we are going to be reviewing this week. Um, yeah, I mean, and it comes down to this. Essentially, when Livia says, hey, let's do book something, I hear, um, I have a plan, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm just like, he has a plan. All right, let's do that. And then I just don't really think too much about it. Love it. This works out so perfectly. Huh. Um, but here, so I'm going to give you a little bit about the book now. Here's the game plan. We're going to review the book. We're probably going to... Um, follow up on some things that we talked about in previous episodes. And then Shane McKenzie, who I understand is the ringleader for, uh, for jackpot um, is going to join us for a little bit, um, probably to defend himself um, <laughs> for, for this, for this book. So, uh, <laughs> but here is the synopsis uh, pulled directly from amazon.com. What if a serial killer won the lotto Booker has been playing the Powerball for years, randomly picking victims off the street and using their ages as his lucky numbers, carving the digits into their heads. He has come up empty time and time again, but tonight, he feels lucky. And when the ping-pong balls are drawn, Booker realizes he is over $200 million richer. But a serial killer winning the lottery isn't all it's cracked up to be, as Booker soon learns he's become the one with the target on his back. From a scumbag ambulance-chasing lawyer to a group of backwoods inbreds who believe the money is rightfully theirs. With a hunter becoming the hunted, Booker must use his skills as a killer to outkill and outwit all who come between him and his winnings. Yeah. Pretty goddamn accurate. That's quite accurate. Yeah. So, uh, you got some stars for this? <laughs> that's all we're um, going to talk about, right? We're not going to say anything else about it? Well, you know, there is something that's left out in the synopsis. And that is all of the incredibly bloody, nasty, gory, foul things that go on between the pages of this book. Not just from a serial killer kind of torture perspective, but like from a like sex perspective, too. This book is just <sighs> filled with filth. Front page to last page. They uh, spared no expense in the um, making it really gory and and um, explicit and yeah. awesome. Olivia's <laughs> sorry, that's, I just it's <laughs> fucking fantastic. I love it. So, uh, if there's anybody that's listening who doesn't quite dig 
um, straight up gore porn or anything really graphic or, you know, sexually graphic, um, uh, explicitly gore heavy, probably this isn't going to be a book you want to read. But if that's something that you enjoy um, or are interested in learning more about, I'd say this is a pretty decent place to go for it. Yeah, I was going to go a different route. If you don't enjoy those things, maybe you were just weren't doing it right up until now. I mean, okay. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it, yeah. I mean, you know. I don't know. Let's talk about this a little bit. All right. So we have, uh, we have our protagonist, Booker, who is, uh, eh, they, they don't, I don't think they ever really give his age, but he's like in his late 20s, right? Early 30s, maybe? Yeah, I was guessing early 30s. And it kicks off with him, um, you know, doing his his pick for this week's uh, Powerball lottery. So he's got these uh, six six victims, right? I believe six. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't play lottery, <laughs> so I'm just going to guess that's the right number of people. It's uh, it's just him kind of finishing up torturing these people, including uh, a, a teenage boy uh, and a woman who's pregnant. Um, and you know, in 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 the fashion, again, not to spoil, I think this is like page three stuff, but in true fashion, you know, you got to figure out someone's got to be the Powerball, right? So why not make it the unborn baby of the group? Of course, it's the unborn baby. Ah, brilliant. So I think it was five, and then the baby was the sixth. That could, yes, that victims. could be right. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, um, apparently, this is something that he's been doing kind of as a ritual for a while. But uh, this particular occasion, uh, he he gets all his numbers and then, you know from his victims and kind of ritualistically carves the numbers into his uh, into their heads, like uh, is said in the synopsis of the book, and then goes down to his um, like a local kind of like you know Quick Mart kind of thing, which I think it was actually named Quick Mart, Quick Mart, something like that. Anyway, yes, uh, mm-hmm. to you know buy his lottery ticket. Um, bumping into uh, this is where you kind of get the feeling he's been doing this for a while because he knows the store clerk quite well and they talk about him doing the lottery so um, you're left with the impression that this is something that he does a lot which means he has probably a pretty big body count going Um, gets his numbers and then um, to his surprise actually wins yeah, and that's where our second, um, you know, kind of main character in the book appears, uh, Frank, who is a, you know, as it said in the synopsis, kind of a scumbag lawyer who, instead of chasing ambulances, chases down um, lottery winners and then seeks to be, you know, their representative for, you know, a portion of the of their winnings. So, you know, you've got a guy who's a serial killer, and then you find a guy who's just one step below that in a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, it's really the way it was kind of portrayed, right? Like, like, yeah, uh, we've got yeah. the serial killer, and we know he's a bad guy, but here comes the real dirtbag of the story. <laughs> yep, and he's got a plan. He's basically, um, he, he's from the East Coast. This takes place in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. But the lawyers in the East Coast flies in once um, he has some, like, PIs and stuff tracked down the winner of the lottery. And um, tries to get his commission, but actually at the... Quick Mart, there's also the introduction of um, kind of our third main character or main plot point of the group, which is um, this old woman named, I think it's Winona, right? Mm-hmm. Who, 
she kind of comes up later on in the story, but she's tied in with the uh, the synopsis mentioned the group of backwoods inbreds. She's uh, she's tied in with them, so uh, everybody kind of comes together, or like the whole thing kind of sparks with um, him playing the lotto and winning the lottery. Yeah, Winona's um, family reminded me um, a little bit of uh, I can't believe I don't remember their names. The the family from um, House of a Thousand Corpses, the Fireflies. Yes, the Fireflies. And even though someone mentions um, later on in the book that they're kind of like the uh, the other family's name, I won't remember now from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I won't remember that either. Yeah, um, but yeah, I got the feeling. And you know what? Another likable bunch of people. See, I thought they were kind of played as, like, really dumb. Yes, they were. Which I wasn't a big fan of. At least with the Fireflies, like, they weren't they weren't dumb. They were just kind of, like, really insane. Mm-hmm. So, I like that more. Well, but you know what? The, the other family that, that came to mind was the, the um, kind of backwards family from Justified. But the mother who's, oh, who's, yeah. who's, you know, kingpin of all the marijuana business. Yeah, like, yeah, she's yeah. the smart one. Then she's got the two dumb brothers that are two sons, the the brothers that, that fight all the time. And yeah. then they got, like, the one that's a little brighter. The the one that was a cop. So kind of yeah. along Is those lines. Is that the Crows? Or, wait, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It, no, it's not the Crows, because that's... Do, oh, do we Crow? Yeah. I no, know who uh, you're talking about. Yes, anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's this is a short book, man. It's 142 pages. So I don't know that we can go into a whole lot more plot um, than this. But yeah, that family. It's the the two sons. Uh, they have a daughter named Tanya, who's a very kind of whore. Very kind of whore. Uh, <laughs> I just that reminds me. There was a guy I, I used to work with who English was a second language for him, but he he used to say just in talking about you know women, he'd be like, "She's kind of whore." Like that—that that was actually a thing for him, kind of horror. Was, so. was his name Eddie? <laughs> uh, no, his name is not. It's not somebody you worked with. Okay, I didn't think Eddie would say that either. I just wanted to ask. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I mean, this is just—I mean, it's a—it's a romp, right? I, mean, I can't think of another way to say this. It is kind of like this crazy, pretty fast-paced, um, very, very brutally violent, um, and, and and yes, gratuitous at times. Those times being from page one to page 142. Um, yeah, it's very consistently gratuitous. It's yes. Gratuitously gratuitous, if you ask me. And just good goddamn fun. Um, all right. So let's just kind of talk about what we like, the likes and dislikes. I know that mm-hmm. Livius is pretty much going to be all likes, but I have a couple dislikes as well. Um, By all means, Rob, you go first. The concept is actually really interesting. So you're thinking about this guy who's a serial killer, and obviously he's got very much like typically the psychology of serial killers, from what I understand from watching like TV and stuff, is that like you know you're compul- you have a compulsion to do things the same way over and over again. So like the idea of um, playing the lottery is something that's kind of something that someone compulsively does. Um, there's a lot of superstition involved, so it kind of ties in with what I would believe is a realistic psychology for serial killer. So the concept really kind of sold. It was easy sell for me because it seemed like like it would be... It, it's just believable. Um, so I was really excited about the concept, and um, I, I thought that it could have... The story could benefit from... And 
this is me looking for something besides what the story was could benefit from a little bit more of an exploration of like the the weird insanity and psychology around that but uh it was a really cool concept I agree. I mean, that's really what drew me into the book is, you know, I read the synopsis and thought this, I didn't have to get very far. It's first line. What if a serial killer won the lotto? I'm in. I'm sold. Yeah. You know, for, for the same reasons is that, you know, you take a guy who typically is very reclusive and um, I don't know, serial killers aren't typically portrayed as being really well off. Um, and some of that might just be a, a simple lifestyle that, you know, allows them to focus on what it is they do so yeah i was uh in my mind expecting probably where booker is heading like some of his fantasies are, are, are to have this like mansion built like a kill mansion mm-hmm. uh, you know and then he has this kill van that actually is developed through the course of the book um you know so some of that was fun but i was kind of imagining that jump forward to now i'm a you know, you know whatever multi-millionaire a billionaire yeah, a gabillionaire, and and I could because <laughs> if I have a gabillion dollars, I will have a kill mansion. I mean, that's we know this already, right? Like I didn't even have to say it. Uh, so yeah, I was kind of <laughs> looking forward to that. Um, it is probably, at least I feel like it was written a little more tongue in cheek than that. Um, but yeah, I, just fun, fun. It went a different direction than I thought it was going to, and I liked the direction. So you and I both were kind of expecting something a little different out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that I got something that I thought was equal to what I thought just in a different way. See, and I, I think that I suffer from being so completely in love with the lease of my scars, which I'm not saying you're not, um, where I wanted the, cause the, what Stephen Graham Jones did with Lisa, my scars was he basically like dug into the psychi the psychological aspects of, of being a serial killer in a specific, uh, unique situation, kind of the same way this winning the lotto is a specific, unique situation, but he took it in the direction of like the mundane everyday life, which to me was, um, more sustainable as a story than, um, just like a gore fest murder spree. Um, and it was just like, it had the opportunity to be creepier, but also to be kind of a more genuine story. But, uh, again, that's me looking for something different than what I believe the authors were out to make. So, um, for me personally, I was, I was hoping that this, uh, winning the lottery story would be taken in a different ro- like direction than it was, but I knew it wasn't going to be. Okay. You, uh, you made a note and I'm going to bring up your note says that this 142-page book was written by four people, exclamation point. I personally felt like the scenes were a bit disjointed, not knowing it was co-authored. It makes more sense now. So um, I knew it was co-authored going in. Um, I didn't get that. Like, I couldn't draw. And, and I thought that it was it was that it stayed pretty consistent throughout was my feeling that I didn't like if you told me this was one person, it wouldn't I, I wouldn't have questioned it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yes, I wouldn't have questioned it anyway. I've just had one name on there, regardless of if there are four distinct styles. I didn't really think it shifted very much. I mean, I can't I mean, it's going to be difficult for me to draw on a specific example, but there were just times where. And I don't know if they, I don't know how they broke up the work, whether it was chapter to chapter or if it was like in between, like, because it was kind of loosely chaptered out and stuff. Um, but it just felt like, uh, if you really kind of break it down and look at it, it seems like some of them were more story driven and some were just really, really gratuitous with the gore and the, and the, and the creepy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I, I I felt like there there was an inconsistent attention to what the biggest important detail of the book was. If that makes sense. Okay. Yes, that's fair. Yeah, I agree. And yes, I, I did. I didn't really feel. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I looked at it as disjointed, <laughs> but no, I'm just saying. For you're right because there were parts that were very story driven. You know, so basically, like if you any time the lawyer, the lawyer was all insight into like his motivations and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, the next page was this crazy family, you know, uh, you know, torturing somebody for information or, or something along those lines. I mean, there are hard mm-hmm. shifts. Um, right. And then there's characters that, um, were talked about enough to seem bigger than they ended up being. And it was just, you know, like, it seemed like there, there would be an introduction of a character. There's one specifically I'm thinking of that ends up in a trunk. Mm-hmm. Um, that later on, there wasn't really much of a payoff for that character. It was just kind of like a throwaway situation more than anything. So, well, I don't know. Yeah, I will agree with you on that point. And I, I very specifically thought about that later on in the book and, and thought the same thing. Like, we saw some stuff through this person's eyes. Yeah. And and they would seem like they would be a bigger character <laughs> just based on who they are in the book. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and they did just kind of... I don't know, kind of go away, I guess, is the is the, the right way to say it. Anybody who uh, has listened to this entire review might guess as to what happened. Yes. Um, what do you think? So we reviewed one other book that was written in a similar style, 65 Stir Up Iron Road. Mm-hmm. Um, and by similar, that was, I think, six authors, and they did pass off chapter to chapter, and, and it was um, very clearly you know, labeled as to who wrote which chapter. If you remember, the, the heading yep. would have like either one person's name or two people's name, which I'm assuming right. was like a handoff situation. Um, comparatively speaking, I know that was probably a year ago, but uh, what do you think? I almost think that like having the having the, the author uh, indication might have been a, a decent thing because then you can kind of look at or like appreciate the differences in style than just being kind of like, for me at least, confused by like a, a kind of shift in, um, you know, priority and attention to detail and stuff like that. But um, I wonder if that's like, because like if I was thinking about it now and like the the 65 Stirrup Iron Road was a, another one that was like really, really hardcore horror and, or extreme horror, I guess would be the word for it. Um, but I'm trying to think of... Exp- uh, examples outside of that that do something similar and I'm, I'm coming up pretty empty so I wonder if this is like a more common thing in horror than other genres do you mean just the co-authoring yeah I, I've I've never seen it before 65 stir up iron road right, and then right. when I saw it in this it, it was one of the reasons that drew me personally to wanting to read it and then like I said I kind of got into it a little bit and thought this would be fun to review so um, I don't know I guess we could probably I don't know I, I imagine there's a way we could find out. Finally, we can ask Shane. I think one of the questions that we're going to probably look at is how how is the uh, the writing broken up? And I would say like, what's the story with this kind of like you know like that type of thing? We could probably talk to Shane when when we get him on. That would be one of the ways. Yeah. I wasn't going to try to Google it. I swear, I wasn't even going to try this time. How Are do you write a book for people? Um, <laughs> do you have any quotes? No. 
somehow I figured you wouldn't, but that's okay because I'm going to make up for it because I have some quotes. Yeah, the reason I didn't do quotes, first of all, was because of the extreme horror element of it. Not that I'm afraid that our audience can't handle it, but just that, you know, uh, it's really, really gratuitous, like graphic. It's really graphic. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, it's really short. And sometimes when I read short stuff, I just like get into such a pace with it that I don't take the time to like sit back and like, you know, highlight a highlight a passage here and there. Now, I, I understand that you did something this time that I very frequently and typically do is that you read the majority of this over meals. Is that is that correct? Yeah, there was a lunch break I read a lot of this through, and there was actually a dinner as well, which was yeah. probably just not a good choice at all. <laughs> but you know what? It's Here's the whole thing. It's exactly what I did. I read on Liv's lunches at work. <laughs> and then, you know, at night, sometimes around 10 o'clock, I go, eh, I'm going to go throw together a sandwich or something. And then I, I found myself drawn to it and reading it on my phone, you know, the, where you, know, you could sync with a Kindle. Yeah. So I ended up reading a lot of this on my phone, like while I'm stuffing food into my face. And and I decided that there's probably something wrong with me. Yeah, you are not a normal human being. Yeah, no, I'm not a normal human being. I'm pretty sure that there's something very substantially wrong with me at this point. <laughs> to illustrate that, what's your quotes? All right, so I'm going to read some quotes. This is probably some of the most graphic stuff you will ever have heard on books. So you probably got yourself about 10 seconds or so to turn it off, turn it down, hide your kids, hide your wife. Do about a uh, do one or two quick 30 minute jumps for or 30 second jumps forward. Yep, yep, that's a thing. You could do that too. Um, so this first one um, is not at all violent in in of itself so um joy wasn't an emotion booker was used to feeling when there wasn't a sharp object involved yeah that's probably the tamest you're gonna get yep so god you know i don't i mean is it possible that we could spoil this book i mean not i mean like i don't think i don't think so so I'm going to do no setup because then it's not spoilery, right? If I just read this out. Yeah. Some of his mother's parts were replacements, but the skin was hers. Her skeleton bleached and dried and stuffed back in, along with a dash of sawdust for form. Her eyes were glass, but the color was a close enough approximation that even Booker couldn't tell the difference in the right light. The soft folds of her vagina couldn't be preserved, though. There was just no way to tan the flesh and have it maintain its peculiar moisture and elasticity. So he'd had to visit a sex shop and find a silicone replacement. Should I keep going? You can do whatever you want to. All right. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Losing listeners. (laughs) To to the bottom of the page. (laughs) So at one point, um, he he has uh, three people in his house, uh, a man. And two women. I don't even know if I could read this with a straight face. Back when this was an orgy, Booker had convinced the guy, David, was it, to fist. I can't. Why? <laughs> oh, this is so good, though. Uh, <laughs> I can't do it. Rob, can you read this quote for me if I give you the page number? Hang on. <laughs> <sighs> Alright, because Livius can't do it with a straight face. Back when this was an orgy, Booker had convinced the guy, 
uh, to fist the other girl's ass. Then clear, this clearly wasn't her first rear entry situation because the old boy was lost up to his wrist when Booker lowered the cleaver. Dave lost his whole hand up there. There were more dignified ways to go, but Booker had seen and done worse. This is good stuff here. Frank Edler right now is taking notes on how to write gore porn. Every other listener we have is abandoning us right now. I I, I don't I don't think so. Maybe. Hello, is there anybody out there? Let's see what else I've got in here. Uh, all right, I got one more, and then uh, and, and then I'll let this go. Uh, blah, blah, blah. He held a lighter to her inch-long nipples and melted the flesh, the erect pieces of meat sizzling away like little sausages. He'd soldered her vagina closed and force-fed her a couple gallons of water slowly so as not to drown her, and when she was ready to burst, he sliced her open with his straight razor and cackled as a river of piss and blood exploded forth. All right, and now that we've uh, we've lost so much of our listenership, uh, do you want to you want to get the wrap ups going and get Shane on so he can answer for his crimes? Yeah, you know what I do, but just think of all the listeners we gained. I'm thinking of that. <laughs> um, all right, I, I don't know I, if that was a net positive. <laughs> I will. I will start with uh, with my wrap up. Um, all right. I can imagine there is a segment of the population, and especially as I was reading my quotes, um, I was thinking like, you know, there's all this the the newer wave or, or the more predominant wave of feminism that's going on that that would probably listen to those parts and then crucify me for for um, supporting rape culture. Right? I mean, Rob, is that? an accurate statement i mean possibly yeah so here's my thing i don't take these books very seriously so i don't think that any of the four authors that this is the kind of stuff that rolls around in their head like you know secret fantasies they have or whatever i think they do it in kind of a god i was gonna say good clean fun but i think that i can't make a statement that's probably more inaccurate than that in a very very um rompish uh, and to them and to me you know amusing and entertaining um way i don't take this any more seriously than i take you know wookies in in spaceships and stormtroopers and you know lightsabers and stuff um that being said i haven't read a lot of this i've read you know total i don't know a dozen maybe longer stories and or books in my life that, that had this kind of feel to them. And I think this one was done well. It was a very quick and in my opinion, entertaining read. Um, even though the material is very obviously not, um, not for everyone and not for most people. But as Rob had said earlier, if that is your kind of thing, I think that you uh, could do a hell of a lot worse than this book. Um, it's definitely memorable, and I do think that a lot of thought was actually put into this story. And like I said, maybe we'll we'll hear a little bit more about the mechanics of how this was put together. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Ooh, that's a heavy rating. Mm-hmm. I really liked it, dude. You know what? Honestly, it, it. And again, I say this about a lot of the shorter stuff we read that I like. I thought it was too short. You think everything's too short? I think everything's too short, and I know you think that everything's too long, so it's going to make such a great team. <laughs> All right. Um, here's what I got. Uh, I am not averse to reading some uh, extreme horror. I, I think that there's definitely a time and a place for, for it, and I think um, it can be good stuff. 
I was really excited about the premise of this story, the whole like a serial killer winning the lotto and basically having, you know, um, the the obstacle of, of limited funds removed so he could really just kind of go wild with his uh, um, his kind of depraved world that he kind of created for himself. And I thought that was really fascinating. Really don't think there was enough time spent on that. I mean, and the big thing for me is that I know that's not what the intention was. The intention was to make an extreme horror story, and they did exactly that. But for me, I still wanted that to be fleshed out a little more. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> it's a terrible joke. And uh, so I was a little disappointed that I didn't see more of the serious kind of uh, analysis of that. Uh, like we talked about a little bit, the disjointed nature of, of the different scenes written by different authors uh, was apparent to me um, and confusing because I wasn't aware ahead of time that it was co-authored by uh, multiple people. Um, and so in the in the in retrospect, I can forgive it more than I did kind of when I was reading it. And dude, I mean, I've read some seriously messed up stuff, but this is really, really high on the list of, of just how messed up the extreme horror is like. There's cannibalism and and cr- like really graphic, gory, bloody violence and uh, <laughs> different things happening with corpses. It's just it's really extreme, and so um, I can handle it. And and uh, understanding that that's the type of story that we're reading, um, but again, it's it's pretty it's pretty rough stuff. Um, overall. The story was pretty decent, and um, I thought there were some really good points. I thought there were some points that weren't as well written. I don't know. I just kind of was left wanting more more story than I got. So I'm going to kind of take a step in a different direction from Livia, so I'm going to go two and a half stars. I had a feeling that we were going we to get split on this one. Yeah. But, you know, that's what makes us fun is that we don't always agree. We do tend to agree quite a bit on stuff. <laughs> Every once in a while. <laughs> but, I mean, and look at it this way. It is October, and we did want to do a pretty horror-heavy October, so I can't imagine a better way to start out October than with, like, some of the most graphic and offensive stuff I've ever read. And I bet you that's a good blurb for people, some of the most graphic and offensive stuff I've ever read. Yeah, and I think I like the direction that we're heading in, because next we're going to do it's kind of a ghost story, right? Well, I, I guess I should. I've read the book kind of a ghost story so it would be fitting and then uh if if listeners have a suggestion for another horror book for this month um hit us up on facebook hit me up on facebook let me know if you got something good uh that you read that's recent or something that's coming out real shortly that you have access to I'd like to go a third direction if at all possible so i don't know maybe a slasher Maybe, maybe a vampire story. Uh-huh. Yeah, and yeah, not we're like, not doing zombies, right? No zombies, <laughs> no zombies, and no like Monica Drake. We're talking like actual horror, <laughs> not horrible. There's a difference. <laughs> not kind of horror. Not that kind of horror. All right, enough about us talking about the book. Uh, what do you think? We should probably bring the author on. But you know, it just occurred to me we mentioned it earlier and we didn't mention it to listeners. Um, we have read Shane McKenzie before in the only book I think I brought up in comparison of this, 65 Stirrup Iron Road. I mean, it's easy to forget there was like 30 people that contributed to that. There were almost 30 people that contributed to that. But uh, yes, Shane McKenzie is one of them. So we'll see. Maybe that'll come up in the, in the interview. Especially if we ask. That's going to be one of the... Let's see if he volunteers it. 
So um, <laughs> just like, I, I got questions for this guy. Like, why the hell do I have to keep seeing that Puss Junkies cover on Facebook? That book's been out for like 10 months now. Uh, so, um, but here's a little bit about Shane McKenzie. Shane McKenzie is the author of Infinity House, All You Can Eat, Bleed on Me, Jacked, Addicted to the Dead, Muerte con Carne, Escape from Shit Town, uh, Fat Off Sex and Violence, Pus Junkies, Stork, Fairy, The Bingo Hall, Parasite Deep, and many more to come. He also writes for Zenoscope Entertainment. He lives in Austin, Texas with his wife and daughter. He will find you and he will cut you. Shane, thanks so much for taking some time to come on to Booked and talk to us tonight. Hell yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's hop right into you uh, defending this uh, this book we just reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> so we just spent quite a bit of time talking about Jackpot. Can you tell our listeners kind of in your own words what that story is about? Yeah, uh, so Jackpot is about a serial killer um, who is kind of obsessed with winning the lottery. And he, the way he does it is he'll randomly grab victims off the street take them to his house and he picks his number by finding out their age so uh he'll get five people find out what their age is those are his numbers and then he picks uh i won't give this part away but there's a powerball pick too (laughs) um which is one of the more fucked up parts of the book i think uh you'll find out how he picks his powerball number when you read it um but He's been doing it for a while. He's never won. He tells his victims, you know, if we, if I win, I'll let you all go. And so he gets his numbers, gets his ticket, and he fucking wins. Um, so pretty much at that point, it's the book is about him dealing with what to do now um, and with a lawyer who uh, we all know are the best kind of people and another local woman who is obsessed with one of the lottery that finds out that somebody in her town won it. Uh, So he has to deal with her and her crazy ass family. And so this book is the first of three in this universe we've built. Uh, The first book, mainly the whole point of it is the killer wins the lottery and he has to deal with, all the crazy people to find out he wanted. So uh it gets it gets pretty messed up. <laughs> he is very creative killer. I'll just say that. And when he gets money, he gets even more creative. It, that's a very good description. Uh and one of the interesting things about the book is that it's authored by multiple people kind of in collaboration. So how did you kind of arrive at um um that process, I'd say? I think it's funny that uh that the other guys told you I'm the ringleader. That what you said they, well, they told you? <laughs> yeah, it was so Adam. I I'd met Adam once, and we're friends on Facebook. And and I came across the book. He had posted about it, and I was in between. I just didn't have anything to read. And I go, oh, I'm gonna click through and see what this is. And I read the the you know the synopsis, and I'm like, oh, this sounds like it's right up my alley. So I pulled the trigger on it, and you know I don't know, read you know, a good quarter of it in the first sitting, and I was like, man, I really like this. So I asked Adam, and not knowing how what level of involvement everybody had. I was like, right. hey, do you have a review copy? Because if I can convince Rob to, to read this, you know, like send me a digital review copy. So he did. And he had said, well, Shane's really the guy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I think, I, think poor, I think poor Adam, I'm not saying he was trying to distance himself from this. 
but I got oh. the feeling. <laughs> he was like, he, yeah, I just, I just wrote a little bit of it and passed it on to the next guy. Like, so yeah. Like, yeah. All right. <laughs> he, uh, I think after he read the first part, so I wrote the whole, pretty much the beginning and the end. And, uh, those are like all the like most fucked up parts. <laughs> and I, I could tell like after he read the first part and he emailed me back, he was like, um, I don't know if I can, <laughs> I don't know if I can hang with all of this shit. I was like, you got this man. So he, he, uh, I think he, I don't want to say he's uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Um, cause we had a, a lot of fun doing it, <laughs> but it's just way more fucked up. I think that he, than he's used to having his name attached to, yeah. like, I'm used was, to this I, shit. I was thinking, I was like, I wonder, I wonder if like in a month or two, if I go to Adam's like Amazon profile, if this is even listed in his like bio, <laughs> like if it just, he like forgets to put it in there. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I will threaten him if he does that. Oh. That's Caesar. Well, he started this conversation by telling me you didn't like it. So I got to fuck with no. him the whole time. He now. said I liked it less than him. Yes. <laughs> I'm just playing. There is a distinct difference. And, and I did. When I recommended it, I, I'm seriously, I'm like giddy. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. I love this. We have to review this. And I sent Rob the message. I was like, I'm not sure if, afterwards. But like, I'm not sure if Rob's really going to like it as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ending gets a little wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll explain to you. So I I think the problem I had was that I fell so in love with the idea of, like, the serial killer winning the lottery and, like, like the logistics of what could happen, like, that the, the, that I was, I, I did, I wanted to spend less time in the extreme horror and more time seeing, like, what happens, so... Right. Like I was being impatient to get to the stuff that didn't matter as much in the story because I know it's kind of like an extreme horror, but like, so I was like, please just tell me. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. And that's kind of, uh, the, the challenge with working with multiple people because everyone wants to bring their idea, especially when you're doing extreme, people tend to start trying to outdo each other when it's their turn. And so you'll end up getting, you know, different points of view from different characters that I wasn't really expecting us to do. Um, but I just kind of roll with it. Try not to be a, not try not to be controlling. So, uh, so yeah, uh, the, the old woman, uh, with the, the crazy ass grandsons. So I literally in the beginning, I put her in there because when I think about lottery, I just think about old people. Um, (laughs) And so I was like, there's got to be an old lady that just says some snarky shit to him in the store. That's the only reason she was in it at all. And then uh, Christopher Rufty got a hold of it and invented her and her entire family. And uh, I wasn't expecting that shit at all. But then when I got it and read it, it was just hilarious to me. I was like, fuck it. But yeah, um, so originally the book was supposed to be a giveaway book to uh, Sinister Grin Press members the whole point that we were the, it started out i asked those guys to write a short story i was going to do with this little four short story collection or uh anthology just to give away to the to the members as a as a thank you and then i, I kind of got to thinking about it seemed kind of boring doing an anthology so i just I I didn't know what we're going to do yet, but I was like, what if we did a little small collaboration and just all 
work together on the same thing. So they're all down with it. And within, I think, a day, that shit just came to me. Serial killer wins the lottery. That would be that would be fucking interesting. And so uh, they were into it. Still, supposed to be a giveaway. It was never going to be for sale to the public. It was just for the members. But then we wrote it, kind of loved it. I was like, dude, we got to do, we, we have to let more people read this shit. So we came to the conclusion, uh, members still get it for free, but we got to put it out there. And that's why we, we loved it so much. That's why it's to be continued at the end. Cause we want to, I want to see, I want to see this mansion get built and I want to see what happens in there. <laughs> Good. We so. can't stop where we stopped. <laughs> Good. So I'll, my, my curiosity will be satisfied then, right? Yes. There's, right. there are two more coming, two more books. I am really excited. That was also in the... that was one of our questions. We were going to drop a little later. Was um, will, will there actually be a sequel? Will we see the further adventures of Booker? Yes. So the way we've got a plan right now. Now that this could all evolve and change as we write it, but the first book was he wins and then deals with the motherfuckers that find out he won, and the second book will be him. W- I don't know if he'll be in a hotel. I kind of like the idea of him being in a really fancy hotel waiting for the mansion to get built. And then the third book will be him in his mansion. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's it, it, I mean, that's a very loose plan. Who knows? Like I said, the old woman was supposed to be an old lady buying ice cream. And then she turned into, you know, a grandma hillbilly yeah. over here with her crazy grandsons. I think that's one of the things I really liked about the book was, and I've read this, um, I've read a lot of Richard Lehman's horror mm-hmm. um, stuff that I just absolutely loved. And oh, yeah. that was the best parts of that were when you got that second crazy person involved. You know, like you got yeah. the, your regular psychopath, like that's that's your standard fare. That, that's your bestseller. There's a psychopath doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But you get into like kind of fringe horror or fringe writing of any sort, and you introduce that second crazy person, and that's when shit just, yeah. just gets fantastic. So I'm, I'm really oh, yeah. glad that that took that turn, because I would have totally banked on that being built into the, the original kind of you know plotting of the story, because it just worked that well. Yeah, yeah. And it uh, it it took some some going back and changing some, th- changing some things to fit uh, the new stuff and you know editing and talking with each other to make sure it all fit but man the the book was pretty smooth like there it didn't feel like like when it was all said and done it just felt like like we were hanging out and then a book happened like that's kind of <laughs> what it felt like it was just so much fun to do I mean the character I mean the all the characters were fun to do but uh, as far as the parts that I did I'm I'm mo- mostly focused on Booker um, and I kind of like the idea at least in my mind when I was writing it the way I thought about it is he's kind of like Batman <laughs> meaning he has unlimited <laughs> money now and can just have as many fun toys as I can imagine and so when I was thinking about all the shit in his house when they were starting to come in I was kind of thinking Weirdly enough, in my mind, it was a, a combination of Batman and Home Alone. <laughs> just went, uh, kind of went apeshit with it. Like, what kind of fucked up shit could he buy if money was no object? And his whole purpose was to brutally murder these people. 
And then, you know, they're invading his house. So I was like, some Home Alone traps would be kind of cool. <laughs> I don't remember Home Alone being quite that graphic, but... Um... Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> hey, Joe let's... Pesci got just dismembered. You got to watch the director's cut of Home Alone. It's much worse. <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't, there's probably a yeah, director's cut version where it's much, much worse. Well, that part with the old guy is still going to make me cry, though. Um, <laughs> talking about collaboration, one of the things that came up in our in, when we were reviewing it uh, just a few minutes ago um, is is um, the collaboration aspect, which uh, when we were talking about it, we've read tons of stuff. It seems like it's something that's unique, at least in, in our experience, to horror. And we did the review of 65 Star at Iron Road before, which I know that you were uh, right. a, a part of. Um, is that something that you see outside of horror? Or are we just kind of like realizing that because like we that's what we've seen? Or what, what, where does that... Where does that come from, and, and why does it seem to us, at least, that it's more prevalent in, in horror? I don't know. Um, that's a good question, actually. I, I, I guess I have only seen it in horror. I never really thought about that before. Um, I think a lot of it is, as far as horror, I don't know about any other genre why they don't do it, or if they do and we don't know about it, why they do. But in horror, I feel like our community is pretty small and intimate, like, if you go to a convention, everybody's friends, and um, it's just fun to do. You know, like, uh, I kind of look at it like I'm really into rap music, and if you buy a rap album, half of the songs are going to feature some other rapper. Because mm-hmm. to me, it's just it's just fun. And so when, when I thought about it, I mean, it, it, you know, I didn't... When I came into, into this horror game, I saw a lot of, uh, like Rath James White's a good friend of mine. I saw him doing a lot of it. Uh, Edward Lee was doing it. J.F. Gonzalez was doing it. And I was just like, you know, it would be, it just felt, it felt like it would just be a lot of fun. And it was. So I think maybe it's, it's because our community is so small and we all know each other so well. Um, especially when you say extreme horror is even smaller sure yeah for sure that makes and, sense um, too uh but i don't know man i think it's just extreme horror is, is just so much fucking fun to do yeah i could see that i mean it's kind of like in a way the the bizarro community is also really kind of co- like really tight and um yeah very specific like it's a specific group of people so uh you grow to know them and and care for them more than i think if you were writing in another genre i could see that yeah, I think there's probably a fun aspect too in in what you do. So, if we step, you know, what I like to think non judgingly is far away from extreme horror, and we go to something like just you know your straight up you know BS Oprah literary stuff, right? It, it's yeah. a you've probably got somebody who who feels like a really really um, almost selfishly strong sense of ownership, right? You know what I mean? Where they wouldn't want anybody else's name on what they're doing. And, and like you said, community and, and the fun aspect probably yeah. allows it to be a better group activity than um, than, than it sure. would be if you're writing, you know, I don't know, whatever. Some real stuffy, you know, literary piece of crap. And it might, it might also have Foster to do with Wallace. the... Yeah, like the, the subject matter. It would be hard to, to collaborate on a romance. You know, where it's like, all right, I'm going to... I'm going to write about 
uh, them meeting and then you write about after they meet. It just doesn't, you know, like like in, in, in horror. Because <laughs> there would be fisting in, in There would be in no two. <laughs> fisting at all. And if I'm going to collaborate on something, in the contract it says fisting. <laughs> it's the recurring theme in all of your It's stories. the recurring theme of, of every book I've written. <laughs> there will be a fisting scene. You know, yeah, and, and, you know it's up fisting. to interpretation. Like, 65 uh, Sturb Iron Road, I used chipmunks instead of fists. So as long as that was you? something... Yeah, I did the chipmunk part. <laughs> I remember that vividly. <laughs> A lot of people seem to remember that part. Yeah. Now, in my defense, um, when I found out that that book was for Tom Piccarelli, I told myself, first of all, why the fuck do they want to involve my crazy ass? But I'm really glad that they did. So I told myself, calm it down a little bit, you know, <laughs> don't don't go too far. And that's what I said to myself. And then Brian Keene called me and said, just so you know, I'm counting on you to be fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> or he, he said me and wrath. He was counting on us to be disgusting. He was like, oh, well, now I see it as a challenge to be disgusting. Then you get chipmunks. Yeah, you succeeded. I will give you that. <laughs> um, so while we're on the extreme horror um, mm. subject, what's the worst, you know, feedback or commentary you've received from somebody about some of your more extreme, you know, scenes or storylines? <laughs> um, I actually really get a kick out of that kind of thing. I really love people who had no business reading it in the first place. I love hearing what they think about it. It like it cracks me up. Um, so this kind of might not fit the question, but it's my favorite one star review of all time. It was uh, a woman. It might have been during I, I had put pus junkies out um, for free for like a week. The ebook was free. And I think people have a tendency to just grab the free shit, right, without really thinking about it. So she opens her Kindle and sees Puss Junkies in her library. And, and so she goes on Amazon and gives me a one-star review and says, I don't remember buying this. That's all it was. Puss. <laughs> so, remember buying uh, this. Which tells me everything else in her library was probably, you know, Nicholas Sparks type shit. And then Puss Junkies. And so uh, that's my favorite one-star review. I just, I just imagine her seeing that and being like, what in the fuck? And was so upset about it without reading a single word except the two words in the title and gave me a one-star review. I don't remember buying this book. That shit cracked me up. I laughed really hard when I read that. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up for multiple reasons. Um, first of all, <laughs> no offense, but... God damn it! That's like the worst fucking cover ever, and it it shows up in my Facebook feed. Like, like we're, so for the listeners, we're not friends on Facebook, so I'm not saying that he's just putting it on there. But I swear, once every three days, I'm scrolling through, and the worst cover I've ever seen. Now the book's called Puss Junkies. It'll be the really short version. This kid with a terrible complexion. Um, apparently, the pus from his acne is some kind of wonder drug, right? Like all the kids are, are getting high on it. Is that fairly That's accurate, right. short version? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's this cartoon drawing of this kid covered in zits with like pus oozing out. It's just terrible. Well, but while, while I was looking at that earlier today, 
I clicked. I was like, oh, there's a one-star review. So I clicked on it. So I actually have it up as you were talking about it. I was like, I'm looking at it on my screen. (laughs) And I'll read it verbatim here. Yep. This is from Susan Arnett, um, who says, really don't remember buying this. Not something I would read. This has to be a mistake. (laughs) Dude, I just had the best idea ever. Like, if we, if I were any better at computers, I would, or like, you know, understanding technology... I would absolutely hack into people's Amazon accounts and like buy books they wouldn't like. Oh, that would be fucking awesome. I think that's that a great would be the idea. shit. Yeah, we should get anonymous uh, on that or that or or the four chan. We could send we could send pus junkies and baby Jesus butt plug to so many people. It would be Very incredible. Right. Yeah. Everybody who gives like five star reviews to James Patterson books is going to get. Those two books in their Amazon account. <laughs> Boom. But yeah, I've got a. I would say, Punch Junkies is probably the one, uh, understandably, that I've gotten the most people kind of look at me, like, "What is wrong with you?" Um, but I kind of just don't give a shit. You like, can't the, care about the, that type of judgment, really. <laughs> no, it, it I, and I. And it, with all honesty, it really entertains me. Um, like with one star reviews and all that kind of shit. To me, I can get two things out of any one star review, and both of them are good. One of them is a really good laugh, and the other one is, you know, they didn't like it. If they give a good review, I'll find out why they didn't like it, and it's useful information. That's all I see it. Well, that's that's a that's probably a pretty good way to look at it because we've talked to numerous numerous authors and sometimes on the show and sometimes off we talk about like how you handle poor reviews (laughs) and that's probably one of the best you know other than just you know ignoring them all together you know just being able to either take the criticism you know and and do something with it constructive or just ignoring it yeah we're talking about plus junkies oh good yeah uh for people who have a tough time getting bad reviews um Go read some one-star reviews of the Bible. There's a lot of them, <laughs> and they're fucking hilarious. It's the fucking Bible. Yeah. Go read some one-star reviews of the Bible. It'll make you feel better. You can't please everybody. <laughs> Just not, do your thing. The people who get it will like it. Fuck everybody else. Dude, not to get off on a tangent, but I saw an article today that the Pope said that atheists can get into heaven. Really? Yeah. Who to- Who told him that? Well, I think that's the problem that religious people are going to have is like, Jesus never said that. I don't, I'm not, I was raised atheist, so I was like, hey, dude, the Pope's on my side. But, um, yeah. yeah. And then you were like, wait a minute, I don't want to have to go. What the fuck? <laughs> wait. <laughs> or, or wait a minute, I'm atheist. There's no heaven. Right. I, well, I mean, at least, you know, you know, if I'm wrong, I got, I got the Pope on my side. <laughs> yeah. If you're wrong, you get up there like, he said. He said already. Dude, Pope said I'm in. Back. Yeah. yeah. So, just saw that today and it just kind of blew my hair back a little bit. So, I had to share it with uh, <laughs> everybody listening to the podcast. So, this this occurred to me when you were talking about, when, when we were talking about Plus Junkies. And I don't know why this has never occurred to me before, but have you ever really, like, grossed yourself out while you're writing? <laughs> like, like, you're writing and you're writing and you're like, oh, God, like, your gag reflex kicks in, like, on your own, which is, I'm sure, has happened to numerous readers of yours. At some um, point. no. Okay. 
I haven't. I have. I have disturbed myself, but I haven't grossed myself out. I've. I've written stuff where I'm done with it. I sit back, and I truly think like, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't put that in there. <laughs> now, every time I have that thought, I never have taken it out. But uh, I've had the thought before. Um, as a matter of fact, I just wrote a an extreme horror, an extreme Christmas horror story. Um, and there is a uh, the main scene, kind of. I still I'm struggling with it right now. I think I might have gone a little too far, but <laughs> we'll see what the publisher says, I guess. But I've never grossed myself out. I actually find disgusting stuff hilarious. Uh, you know, on when it's in word form. Now, I'm kind of s- squeamish actually, so I can't like see real nasty shit, especially like real death. And injuries, mm-hmm. I can't look at that shit. I can watch like, you know, Serbian film, the most fucked up movies, because it's fake. But when I know it's real, I can't look at it. I don't like it. Um, so I don't know what that says. But <laughs> fake, gross things in word form, they they can't. They don't really get to me. I think um, it says you might still have a soul. I'm not sure, yeah. but I think that might be what that point says. <laughs> For anybody yeah, else fake, listening, that was wondering, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a a form of comedy, really. I mean, if you go to a, a convention and there's a gross-out contest, everyone in there is laughing. Nobody's really... I mean, they're grossed out, but they're amused at how grossed out they are. Everyone's cracking up because this shit is funny, you know? Um, and when I'm being... When I'm going to make a book extra disgusting, and when I say disgusting, I don't mean violent but disgusting like pus junkies it's i try to give it a a comedic tone like a a fun tone you know because a kid with drug pus coming out of his face is funny as hell (laughs) the 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 scenes where all the other kids are sucking it out of them i was laughing the whole time i was writing that shit so i have not grossed myself out that being said Edward Lee has succeeded in grossing me out before. The, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to fucking pronounce this. Dr- Drapifilist? It's about a guy who has a, uh, phlegm fetish. That, uh, that kind of made me, uh, a couple of times. <laughs> but I've never done it to myself. Not yet. I'm going to take that as a challenge. I'm going to try that tomorrow. I'm going to try to gross myself out. Uh, I, I want you to know Rob has now crossed Edward Lee off the list of people we'll potentially review. <laughs> they just <laughs> made a note. Never fucking read Edward Lee. Done. Ah, uh, you Gone. got to, man. Um, I will say, though, that I read most of Jackpot uh, on during meals. And I survived just fine. So Good. You should read Plus Junkies while you eat a big bowl of pudding. No, no. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think we're going to happen. So I'm going to yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure that. it's going to happen. Dude, every time I see the cover, I'm not kidding. I see the cover and I'm just like, <laughs> I go, "God damn it. Why, why do I have to keep seeing this?" <sighs> um, um, so I've said this before. I just, I still don't know if I'm allowed to say who it is. Um but I'll just say there is a director who's known for making really nasty shit. Um and he is interested in making a Pus Junkies movie. And he's 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 known for 
a lot of toxic things. <laughs> and he, he, we had a talk. He read the book and loved it. We talked on the phone. Who knows if it's going to happen or when, if it does, how long that's going to take. But he said he wants to do it. We just, I just don't know. I don't know uh, what else he's working on. Or, uh, so, Livius is going to the that premiere. That shit might that. come to life for your enjoyment. That's awesome. Very well, cool. congratulations in advance yes. if that happens. Yeah. So if that happens, then you have to eat a big bowl of pudding and watch bus junkies. That mm. that should come with your ticket when you go when you go see it. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no popcorn tonight. We have these giant vats filled with with uh, vanilla pudding. There you go. Yes. Tapioca pudding would be even better. That, perfect tapioca pudding. Yeah, that's pretty nasty. <laughs> Shudder. <laughs> um, all right, Shane. Before we sign you off, uh, where can people find more of your stuff online? Uh, you, I would say the best place is just go go to Amazon, go to my author's page. All my stuff's there. Um, I've got my my comic books up there too. So that's the best place to go. You can go to, to my website, shanemckenzie.org. Um, my Twitter is Shane P. McKenzie, and, and you can find me on Facebook. But uh, Amazon's the best place to go if you want to buy some shit. Perfect. Yeah, I encourage everybody to do a lot of that. Yes. Hey, hey guys, how long until people are giving out their LO handles, too? That just occurred to me. Oh, God, LO. Uh, I refuse. I'm not doing it. <laughs> not going to do it. Um, I will say, actually, now that I'm thinking of it, all of our listeners should buy a copy of Pus Junkies and send it to Livius. Yes. So that he's just surrounded in, in, in cover, that cover in every aspect of his life. In every aspect of his life. We should drug him and tattoo it to his back. <laughs> I wouldn't have to see it, then. That's probably not <laughs> the worst thing you could do. That's a good uh, point. That's a good point. All right. Other than Puss Junkies, uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug uh, before we let you go? Yeah. Um, the film based off my novel, Muerte con Carne, out of Deadite Press. The film is actually called El Gigante which is based off the first chapter of the novel. It's about 15 minutes long. Um, it's finished. Uh, it'll be out on DVD uh, probably at the end of the month, but the trailer will be released tomorrow. So look for that. Uh, if you want to find me on Facebook or Twitter, I'll be posting that shit all day long. Very happy with how it came out. I'm blown away. Uh, at how good this thing is, honestly. It's got to be exciting to have something that, you know, you put down on paper kind of be visualized that way. Yeah, it's it's my personal favorite, uh, the book of anything I've written. Um, the character El Gigante is very dear to me, so to see that dude come to life and kick some ass, it's fucking... I can't, it's hard to describe the feeling. It's awesome. I've watched it like 30 times. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's very cool. All right. Well, Shane, thanks again uh, for taking some time to come on and talk to us and uh, and elaborate on uh, on on the the extremities of horror in your life. Yes, it was it was fun, man. We should do it again. All right. Once again, a big thank you to Shane McKenzie, who was an absolutely excellent guest. Um, I totally agree. However, I. I 
I, I I'm gonna have trouble tonight with the whole like tapioca pudding thing, man. I'm not gonna be able to get that out of my head. Oh, dude, here's here's the whole thing. I was gonna play. All I did the whole time, I was eating fucking Oreo pie the entire goddamn God, time. You, I knew I wasn't gonna get any of that pie. No, no, you're not going to. I have. Here's the whole thing. I don't know how disgusting it's gonna be, but I'm only gonna eat that pie while we're podcasting. <laughs> so. For anybody who didn't quite catch that, here's what happened. And I'm a little so Rob, you're gonna have to help me work through this. So sometimes, you know, we had we had A. Adam Otten was on the show as a guest reviewer for yes. uh, the Broken River books release. And so obviously we talk to people off the air too. It's not all on air stuff, but uh I probably mentioned the company I work for, I think, right? But I'm gonna guess that's how he yeah, yeah. 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 So I don't know that I mentioned where location wise. It was. So I don't, it's kind of weird. I walk into work and, uh, you know, one of my coworkers goes, Hey, there's a couple of packages in there. They're all, they're, they're addressed like directly to you. So I walk in one of them. I immediately recognize as something from our corporate office, you know, same shape box, you know, that I usually get. And the other one I go, ah, this is interesting. What's this? I look at the label. It's address in like New Jersey or something came FedEx. I open up and there's the, the missing pie. The missing fucking pie is there. So my first thought is, fucking Teresa from Sydney Lit Books heard a fucking episode <laughs> went home, dug out this pie that's now fucking two weeks old, right? Sent you <laughs> the old off, pie. Figured out where to ship it to me. It wasn't. A. Adam Otten sent the pie. The pie that we never got, it came to me. How wonderful is that? So, alright, which is fantastic. We gotta love Adam Otten for that, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering... Um, and I think actually this is I'm thinking of this because I think you said it uh, via text message or something that maybe he filed a claim. <laughs> yeah, he probably took our advice and called up one eight hundred fucking pie chose or wherever the hell he called <laughs> and bitched and they, they probably gave him a credit and he sent me the pie. Can I tell you how delicious this fucking pie is, dude? Don't even talk about that because No, really, listen, <laughs> no, you gotta hear this because you can't even imagine what this is, okay? I had no idea. You know, I, I saw that it was an <laughs> Oreo pie in the picture. So it is this this super thick pie crust, right? The the pie filling, it's got filling, right? Filling is the white cream from Oreo cookies. Oh my god. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It is just that with some crushed up Oreos in it and then like some some bigger Oreo pieces like broken up on top. So it is just it it ugh, I can't even it's the hold on a second. I like mm, mm. Oh God! This is unbelievable. <laughs> this is the biggest pie eating you've ever. <laughs> you know what I did last night? What's that? Did you do something similar? Did you get a pie? <laughs> well, first of all, um, I didn't receive any pie at all from Mr. Triple A Adam Otten. from and, anybody. Let's be honest, or anybody at all. No one's giving me any pie, and um, I, I don't know why he chose you, Livius, because I'm the one that edits, and I can just you know forget to put his uh, clips in the in the podcast <laughs> I just, I people are better to me for some reason than they are to you and i don't know why that is because you really do have the power right absolutely 100 yeah. percent of the power and here's the thing in all my dejected sadness once i found out that you've got an oreo pie that i knew i was never gonna eat any of i was on my way home stopped to fill up my gas tank went inside got a king-size twix <laughs> Dude, that's that's like almost exactly the same thing as a pie that's filled with the cream from inside the Oreo cookies. It's right. Really, it's not. It's really not. 
you know, Twix. The taste is going to move you. Isn't that their, their old? There's nothing two sticks of Twix can't fix, my friend, except for not getting a fucking pie. <laughs> Here's the whole thing. I, I honestly considered saving you some, but if for listeners who don't know this, Rob and I see each other like every three months. If I saved it for you, it would be like something from a Shane McKenzie story by the time you got it. All right. Well, Anna Martin didn't need to just send it to you. That's all I'm saying. Oh, that's, that's, that's true. That's very true. That's very hmm. un- unhelpful. Ugh. And you know what else? You know what else he didn't send you? A clip for this week. This is a triple A free week. That's because he, he feels bad. I think he feels bad. I doubt he feels bad. He knows. He's like the dog that knows it wasn't supposed to be on the fucking furniture. He's gonna. <laughs> how do we get the the audio version, Adam? How do we get the audio <laughs> version of you with one of those uh, shaving signs like they have in front of the dogs? Like I, I chewed I chewed out the stuffing from the couch. How do we get an audio version of that? You, you being shamed for not sending Rob pie. I only sent Livia a pie. Not. <laughs> I only sent one of the podcast hosts a pie. Oh, we should do a clip where we mock him in a, in a shaming way. For... <laughs> um, I think that's as far as it's going to go. We're just going to say we should do it. Oh, yeah, of course. That's what like we always do. Work. Holy shit, that guy does a lot of work. Ugh. any rate. Um, so uh, thanks for tuning in to this super so wait, sized episode. No, no, I'm not done with this oh, pie oh, thing oh. yet. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> All I'm going to say is I got fucked originally. <laughs> When we didn't get the first pie. And I just got fucked again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... <sighs> I I want to feel bad, but I, I can't. This fucking pie is too goddamn good. Your belly is too full to make you feel any kind of remorse. Oh, yeah. No, no. This is this is absolutely delicious. All right. Well. Um, so this episode may be a little bit longer than we anticipated um, because Shane was such an excellent guest and because I didn't really think, didn't think that Rob would take the pie thing so hard. So I totally expected that little portion to be a lot shorter. I have feelings. I'm a human. <laughs> See, that's the whole thing. I have feeling. I have one. <laughs> and it's really hard to hurt that feeling because most people don't know what it is. So true. Just, I don't even know what it is. I'm, I'm going to try and find out. Though. Yeah, that's why I said my feeling never gets hurt. <laughs> um, so what's coming up so, in the future? All right. We are going to be reading. Rob is going to be reading <laughs> The Supernatural Enhancements. Book two in our all horror October. I don't know. Some horror. Hortober. Hortober. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's going to be my life outside the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Hortober. Yeah. Oh, is it Hortober? Hortober. <laughs> is it Booktober? Booktober. Um, yeah. So we read an extreme horror book about a serial killer who wins the lottery. Next up is going to be kind of a ghost story, and I say kind of because I've read the whole book, and we'll have lots to talk about. Um, assuming that Rob ever finishes this book, ever, ever, All right, whatever. Um, Maybe if I was getting some pie, I'd be more motivated to get the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I will spend the rest of this week eating pie because I have nothing I need to read and, uh, and we'll be back with you again next week until then I'm Livia Snudden and I'm Rob Ob- <laughs> <laughs> god damn it you're, you're really taking this pie thing hard brother <laughs> alright
right, stop laughing. And I'm Rob Olson. Happy Hortober. Now remember, what are you putting in at the end? Keep it up, <laughs> assholes. I'm the one that edits this. <laughs> mm. Mm. The white cream. Oh, God, this sauce is unbelievable. I can't stop thinking about tapioca pudding. Yes. Oh, God, please. Please. Oh, I want you to dream about it. <laughs> the taste is going to move you. Your belly is too full to make you feel any kind of remorse. Oh, yeah. No, no. This is This is... Absolutely delicious. All right. Well. <laughs>